Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. So as I've already said, this is the Sunday after All Saints. a time in which we remember that we're not alone, we're not isolated, we're connected to a baptismal family that stretches over continents and over the ages. And I'd like to speak tonight about sainthood, what it means to be a saint of God. I want to talk about being canonized and commissioned as saints, canonized and commissioned, because saints, as we've heard in scripture, saints are canonized in heaven and commissioned to live out heaven on earth. So I want to speak about the fact that saints are canonized in heaven. You you may know that the word saint means sanctified one. And there's been a lot of like furor and debate in church history and in uh, the church's developing theology about how people are made into saints or regarded by the church as saints. In the Roman church, people become saints through this very lengthy, complex process called canonization. And it's, it is a complex process by which some guy named like Roger becomes over time Saint Roger. He was at one time just ordinary Christian Roger, but then he got a promotion. Um, and usually that promotion occurs when people pray to Roger after Roger is dead and they start getting miracles because they have interceded to Roger and asked in, in Roger to intercede for them. And if you get a number of miracles, you're made into a saint. You're declared into a saint. Uh, but the Bible, by contrast, gives us a different view of canonization, how one becomes a saint. And it isn't about making po- posthumous miracles or having particular powers, or having a particular piety. Instead, uh, the Bible describes what sainthood is about, uh, how it is is offered, how it is gifted in Revelation chapter 7. So we're going to go there first. This scene is a scene in the heavenlies. The curtain is pulled back. We get a glimpse into that which is most sacred, that which is most solemn. And the saints have gathered from all sorts of different places and time periods around the throne of God. They've come out of this troublesome, uh, um, tribulated world, and they gather around the throne. And the question comes uh, uh, to the apostle, why are all these people here? What gives them the right to be here? And he's given an answer in Revelation 7 about what has created all of these saints. In Revelation 7, verse 14, the text reads, They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. One of the most memorable and curious verses in all of Scripture. They have been bleached by blood. That's very unconventional detergent. In, that, in this scene, red blood takes stains out of white robes. So the robes had stains, but now are stainless because they've been bleached by blood. Now, I don't do a lot of laundry. My wife is a really remarkable person. Uh, she does most of it. But though I am dim, I know that if you mix your laundry with like, 
I don't know, grape juice. It's probably not going to turn out white. It's probably going to turn out pink. And that would be garish for, a multiple, for multiple reasons, at least if you're a dude and you don't like pink, like me. Um, it's an unconventional detergent. But it is very clearly uh, a theological and pictorial reference to Jesus' sacrifice, to the effect of Jesus' sacrifice. Because when Jesus Christ grew up in Judaism and saw year after year at Passover all of the slaughtered lambs from the temple, all those lambs arrived alive but ended up dead. Uh, That shaped his imagination to the degree that he believed it was his vocation to offer his human life as the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. Why did he think this? Because he took the meaning of sacrifice seriously. What is the message of sacrifice? That sin, that is an egregious offense against the heavens, against another, or against oneself, um, that that sin has an egregious cost. That is, when we take hold of the moral um, fabric of the universe and seek to rip it apart, tear it apart, there is a great cost to that. And it needs to be mended. It needs to be paid for. And Jesus believed that if he offered his life without blemish, that he would fulfill all of that ancient urgency about how atonement could be made possible, how people could be rebonded to God, how we could be totally forgiven, how justice could be paid for and mercy allotted in the same act. And he believed it was his vocation to act as sort of a cosmic sponge to take into himself everything that was debilitating and wicked and wrong and chaotic about you and about me, all our awful offenses upon himself and perish, thereby offering justice and mercy at the same time. And that sacrifice was accepted And we know that because of the resurrection in which Jesus was vindicated in his labor. And so Jesus was convinced, and the writer of the Revelation was convinced, that saints are made by one thing and one thing only. Saints are made by blood. Saints are bleached by blood. By the giving away, the giving up of the Son of God's life essence. This is a point that I think we need to underscore because it's so easy to forget it. It is so easy to believe that our purity or our legitimacy, our justification, comes by other means. You know, we may say we believe in the blood, but we act like we believe in all sorts of other things that will give us long-lasting legitimacy. We may functionally believe that we have washed our robes and made them white by our increasing intelligence and mental sophistication. Or we have washed our robes and made them white because we have a better family than our neighbors do. Or because we are uh, psychologically more harmonious than other people. Or we have washed our robes and made them white because we have compliant children and everyone knows it. Or because of our virginity or sexual purity. Or because of our vocational success. Or because the cleanliness of our homes. Or because of our masculinity and our dominance. Or because of our feminist worldview. Or because of our lack of physical impairments. Or because of our theological insights and personal holiness. To quote the Old Testament, all of those things combined are nothing more than filthy rags of our 
fallen, fake righteousness. Instead, God gives us something more. He gives us something more. He gives us the effect of being bleached by blood. Friends, to be a Christian is to bear within ourselves a great humiliation. And the great humiliation is this. You cannot clean up your own life to the degree that you need to. You cannot do it. It is not possible. We cannot clean our own clothes. We cannot canonize ourselves. We cannot make ourselves more legitimate. To put it very plainly, your canonization is Christ. And Christ only. He made you a saint. Jesus canonized you by blood. You are justified by blood. To quote St. Paul, you have been bleached by blood. Some of you know the name Mahalia Jackson, famous African-American jazz singer who more than dabbled in gospel music. Um, She has a wonderful song. Uh, There's only one recording of it, and it's a terrible recording, but it's a wonderful song called How I Made It Over. How I Made It Over. And in the song, Mahalia is imagining herself in heaven, looking back on her difficult life and asking herself, how did I win? How did I become victorious? How, after all of my own difficulties and struggles and after being raised in this country which hated me because of the color of my skin, how did I make it over? So she sings it. How did I make it over? My soul looks back and wonders, how did I make it over? And then she answers her question. It's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus, the one who died for me, the one who bled on Calvary. He is how I made it over. Same thing could be said by William Cooper. We'll sing one of his hymns tonight. William Cooper was a man who suffered from what we know today as bipolar disorder, but he lived in the days of John Newton during the slave trade. John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, was converted, stopped trading slaves, became a parson within an Anglican parish, and became a hymn writer. But he also discipled this young man with a bipolar disorder named uh, William Cooper. And William Cooper became a brilliant poet and a brilliant hymnist. And he struggled deeply with self-doubt and self-hatred, as many of you do. Hated himself every other day, or maybe more than that. But he eventually discovered a little solace in the fact that it was all by the blood. And he wrote a hymn that is taken out of most hymnals because of its garish imagery. But I'm not afraid of it. And we're going to sing it tonight, and some of you know it. The lyrics are gorgeous and jarring. There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood. Can you finish it? Lose all their guilty stains. Well, that's all saints. And that's why you're a saint, is because Jesus spilled his blood for you. And it worked. And it worked definitively and permanently. You are canonized because of your Christ. That's why, by the way, David tonight was wearing a white robe as he was baptized. It's because of this passage. It's a visual reminder that this guy's been bleached by the blood. And so have you. So that's the first point. Saints are canonized in heaven. Point two. We are canonized in heaven so that we might be commissioned to live heaven on earth. Listen to St. James' language of the below and the above. We're going to now switch to St. James' reading. This is in verse 14. James writes this. If you have bitter jealousy... Selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, 
and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. James is contrasting two realms. We just talked about heaven and how we're made saints by heaven. But there's two realms being contrasted here, each with divergent ethical moral qualities, right? Things from above and things from below. The fallen world below, the world below is what he means, the sinful condition of the world, is full of jealousy, selfish ambition, boasting, and lying. But things from above are quite the contrast. Purity, peace, gentleness, reasonableness, mercy, impartiality, sincerity. James is saying that our ultimate destination, which is heaven, the ultimate rebonding ceremony, right, when we're reconnected fully, uh, our ultimate destination, heaven above, can begin to inhabit and alter the world we live in right now. Put another way, heaven is not just our eventual destiny once our bodies are six feet under the ground. It can be fleshed out in the here and now. And this is good news for all of us, by the way. We do need heaven when we die. And we do need the resurrection of all things when, after we're dead. But if you, like me, are a devastated human being, with paralyses that we're only half aware of, you need a little heaven right now. You need a little bit of a, a spark, a resurrection, a reclaiming right now to have your imagination readjusted, your loves fixed, so that you don't create more suffering for yourself and more suffering for people that you claim to love, right? Well, that's why Jesus came. Jesus came into the world as it was to embody heaven itself and to start giving it away and shaping life with the world of heaven. That's why he taught his disciples to pray for something similar in the Lord's Prayer. In the midst of this broken, blistered, fallen condition, he teaches his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, like right now, in the mess, on earth as it is in heaven. Take a little bit of heaven and localize it here and now. Friends, James is inviting us, who have been bought by blood, to function by that same blood to live in the world as people who have been shaped and cultivated and renewed by that grace of God, to live in God's original design for us, our true humanity, strong, full of energy and dynamism that was created by God, to live in his image in fullness. And when we act in accord with God's will in heaven, when we act in that heavenly manner, right? Full of purity, peace, gentleness, and so forth. When we do that, um, we're not just being nice. I think some people think that Christian, the Christian destiny, destiny is just, you know, good deeds are good to do because people like nice people and it's nice to be nice. Um, not really. When we exude peace, gentleness, and impartiality, we become more than nice. We become veritable portals of paradise, you are becoming a localization of the power of heaven. Something of God begins to be seen in you, and that creates all new thoughts within a dark world. It opens up all sorts of doors. Fascinating things begin to occur when you live in obedience to the claims of heaven. Uh, it gives people a reminder that not only is there a God, but there is a human destiny uh, to which that good deed points that there's a world coming in which this will be the norm rather than the aberration, where gentleness and peace shall rule the day. So James is asking his people not to be mirrors of that which is below, but to be mirrors of that which is above, not to be portals of disdain. 
I mention this uh, because of something that is about to occur. Friends, just as a word of advice from your rector, there is an election coming up. Um, friends, as saints, blood-bought Christians, as saints, we must guard what we say. I have not noted too much of this guarding online recently. We must guard what we say or post on social media because regardless of the fevered madness of our times, this election is not apocalyptic. Only the apocalypse of Jesus is apocalyptic. Everything else is not. And Jesus is not on the ballot, so I would encourage you not to cheaply condemn or dehumanize half of the country with venomous speech and spiteful social media posts that both James and Christ would outrightly censure and condemn, just for what it's worth. Because when we behave with invective, we might think we're being prophetic, we're not. We're actually becoming veritable portals for the anger, rage, and animus of hell. And we do not want to be those people. It's one thing to disagree. It's another thing to disagree with the mode of Christ, which will curtail and form and shape how we evidence our concerns. And if we are not acting in that mode, we add to the disdain of the world. We become nothing more than another accuser of the brethren. Somebody else famous in the Bible was named that, by the way, accuser of the brethren. But we are not to be portals of disdain we are not to be portals of the energies of this world. We are to be portals of heaven. I will um, give you an example of how this happened to me and changed my life six months ago. I don't think I've ever spoken about this in this church. I went on a retreat, a retreat for ministers. My wife and I went together, and I was processing some deep material in that retreat, spiritual, emotional, and um, physical material. Uh, I was dealing at that time with really terrible insomnia. Um, you may know this, but in 2016, I went on a sabbatical for a variety of reasons. Um, I lost a lot of weight, about 90 pounds during that, um, after that time. Uh, and that added, to, that added to my health in many ways. But something odd happened when I lost the weight. I became um, sleepless. I, I struggled with insomnia most nights for years. Uh, and that was uh, something I got used to, as many of you are used to, right? It's just a disability that you just cope with and deal with. I stopped praying about it because when I prayed, nothing seemed to happen. So I, I just sort of gave up. Well, I met with this older priest who noted my turmoil. And, and he said, looking at all of my turmoil, he said, Ethan, you seem antagonized. I thought that was an apt description. I said, yeah, I, I do feel that way. Uh, and I described the, the symptoms of that an inner um, antagonism, poured out my heart, including the fact that I've struggled with insomnia. And he said something very wise to me. He was like a balm in Gilead to me. He said, Ethan, um, all of these things matter, but I think all of your inner turmoil is exacerbated by the fact that you're not sleeping. Wouldn't it be wonderful the Lord would grant you that? I said, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, okay. You know what I mean? Because we're all faithless in certain areas because we give up. I said, yeah, I guess. Uh, and he said, um, well, how about we like pray for that? We'll pray for your sleep. So he laid his hand on my head, and he just prayed very gently and very uh, simply about some inner maladies and the sleep issue. And I, I want to boast in the Lord in front of all of you friends. This is not a preacher's lie or an exaggeration. My wife can testify. I have not missed 
a night's sleep since that moment. Um, it was entirely cured. Now, I did lots of other things before that. I did my CBD oil, which did nothing. Uh, I wanted it to. I mean, I was promised lots of things at the health store. I did. I did the trazodone. That made me woozy, but not, didn't knock me out. I tried all this, you know, the natural homeopathic stuff. I put my thumb on my wrist for a long time. That was supposed to do something, not nothing. I would have drank essential oils if it would have helped me, but I didn't, you know. But I've not missed a night's sleep since. And uh, that helped me a great deal, and it helped everything else. But what did this man offer me? He was a portal for heaven because he was wise. He heard the pain, and he had faith where I had lost it. And he brought me to God, and he prayed that my life would have peace in it, and he prayed that my body would have peace. And as a result, I got more peace in my life because he was a portal of heaven for me. That's what we need. More of us functioning in that mode. Not a mode of antagonism and wrath, but a mode that is inspired by the peace that we receive from Jesus. So, friends, saints are canonized in heaven, and we are commissioned to live out heaven on earth. And tonight I am staring at a whole crowd of them, a whole crowd of blood-bought saints. And I am utterly convinced, and I really mean this, I'm totally convinced that because of Christ and his work within us and among us, the potential in this room is absolutely endless. Amen. Relax, little cure.